0: Hey everybody, this is Steve Stein. Thank you so much for joining me here at the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast. I am extremely excited to announce my buddy here, Brent Paschke, is going to be joining us today. He's a guitar player extraordinaire and all-around really great guy who's had an incredible career in guitar. But you know how it is. I love to get people on here just to gab and talk about their life and the things that they've done and the things that they've experienced. So, Brent, it's so nice to see you, buddy. How you doing, man? You too, Steve. Great to see you, man. How are things going? You're still in California, aren't you?
1: I'm still in Cali. Yes. Los Angeles area. got a little studio in Burbank that I work out of.
0: Oh, okay. How far is that from where you live? It's about
1: 35 minutes or so. Transportation is not really great around here, but there's a train that comes right close here and I ride my bike part of the way. So oh,
0: I nice. get my lazy
1: butt on a bicycle every day <laughs> for a little bit. So well, that's awesome. it's great, man. It's really good.
0: So let's start off by talking about that. In the last couple of years since the COVID thing has hit, now we're going to talk about your childhood and getting into guitar and music. You think about what you've been doing for a career for a while now. How has the last couple of years with COVID affected what you do for a living?
1: Well, it's definitely because obviously with COVID, the touring stuff honestly wasn't on the road a ton, right? My main gig is the Pharrell gig and his main gig is production. So if he makes an NERD record, we are on the road, but it might be five years until the next one, right? whatever album, right? But that was In Search Of, which was the first NERD record and the most popular NERD record. That's 20 years old. And had COVID not been around them there may have been some reunion shows or something. Definitely put a dent in there. Studio work, obviously, because studios are closed in and <laughs> completely sealed areas. So a lot of studios, it was really tough. And then even lessons. I started doing a little bit picked back up on some lesson stuff within the last four or five years or so. And that's tough too. And Cali is pretty locked down. So it was pretty tricky. Just had to make it do.
0: With your studio stuff and even with lessons, did you find yourself transferring to more online work or not really?
1: I did. So with my lessons, I like to go a little bit more in almost artist development stage with my students. I tend to get a lot more students that are in that stage, right? So I had some students when we started out, I didn't know how well it would work, but we weren't able to get together. We just went to zoom and I ended up using audio movers. It didn't have a lot of students, but I had these couple students that were right in the middle of finishing some stuff. And it actually worked out really good because it forced us to look at some things and really make them do some stuff on their own. So it's like, had a friend who sounds great. One of my students sounds great on an SM7. Is okay. We can't get together now. So go to Sweetwater and buy an SM7. Set them up and have them do their stuff there. So we ended up just doing a lot more online with audio movers. And i just find the things that work for them. And it was one of those things where it's okay, because of COVID, we're going to just have you get some more equipment and we're going to have to do this online. But Honestly, it worked out really good. It really did. A lot better than I thought it would.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I have a lot of friends in the industry as well and how that transfer to this remote world has actually been... There's things obviously that we miss. I mean, there's the human factor of actually being together with other musicians or being together with students and things that just can't be replaced. But as far as productivity goes, it's nice to know that these tools are out there for us to be able to still work together and as a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody saw it, but Brent and I did a remote collaboration of a Kiss tune a while back. And it, that's been something that's just been really fun is during lockdown to be able to hang out with friends that I don't get to see very often, but with Nam and stuff canceled, not being able to even see each other once or twice a year. So to be able to do things like that, just to stay connected and have some fun, I would have never started doing those had it not been for COVID because I wouldn't have had the time.
1: Totally. And I started doing more of the Twitch thing. Like it's a 20 year. So one of the things I'll do other miscellaneous things on Twitch, but one of the main things I'm doing is I'll just take and break down NERD in search of sessions, kind of go what we were thinking when we we're recording them and whatnot. Right. But I did that too, is one of the reasons I did it is because I wanted to have a community. I just wanted to have a place where I could just get in touch with people and talk to people about music. My favorite thing, dig into albums and go, Isn't that cool what they did there? And that's a great idea. I want to try that on my next recording. So it definitely forced me to do some things that I needed to do. Because to be honest, I'm not really the biggest fan of posting every day. I don't really post a ton. It's not really quite in my personality. I'm not really a fan of being on camera a ton. It is the way it is now. And if you find your honesty in it and where you're comfortable, that was a rule for myself. I got to move ahead. And then if it feels a little uncomfortable, I got to figure out the ways I can be as honest with it as possible because that totally comes across as an artist.
0: It's funny that you say that because I talk to people a lot about social media and marketing because that's what I do for a living, but you're 1 million percent right. I always tell people it has less to do with trending and trying to get as many views as you can get. The most important thing is at the end of the day, when you go home, if you're happy with what you did and you're honest with who you are and letting people see who you really are. As opposed to this character that you play when you 're on social media, trying to be the most popular, if you can clear all that out and just do what you do the way you do it, it can be fun and you can feel good about it twenty years from now and when your kids grow up, they can feel good about what you did as well, which I think is really important a hundred percent you can 't get on i couldn 't get on here i 'm going to be this crazy
1: advanced guitar teacher like Guthrie Govan. Well, no, there's already a Guthrie Govan and I can't be Guthrie Govan in 20 years if I tried. You just got to be yourself. And there's niches everywhere, man. People like certain things and there's enough room for everybody. So that's exactly right. That's what I really came down to, man. Just be yourself, be as honest as possible. You'll attract the people who are into your kind of thing and then that works the best. That's what I've found.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I'm glad you've been posting things because they're fun for me to watch. You and I text each other on a regular basis, but I don't get to see enough of your playing. So it's been really nice in the last, whatever, six months that you've been posting some things and being able to watch stuff because it's always fun. I spend half my day watching other guitar players.
1: Yeah, me too. That's a great thing about this. That's the great thing. The amount that you can learn out there and the amount of great players out there and just free information. It's just amazing, man.
0: Very cool let 's take a trip back. What I want to do is I want to go back because you and I have known each other for a long time, but your story goes back further than even I know. So what I'd love to do is just go back and talk a little bit about some early memories of yours. If you think back when you were a kid, what's some of the earliest memories that you have of connecting to music on some level? An example would be when I was a little kid, I had a forty five of a song called "Living Next door to alice and people either know it or they don't. And it was popular at the time and then it wasn't, but I played that 45. I play it 30 times in a row. I was just listening to that same song and I was just enamored with this cheesy, whatever song, but I must've been five years old, six years old at the time and just loving this tune. Can you think back of early stages of getting connected musically?
1: Yeah. For me, it was probably Kiss. It really was. Back then too, you'd have the album covers. And so young kid, you'd see these, just this crazy artwork. It's so cool. Then hear Hotter Than Hell. These songs that were just so cool. That was that first inspiration. It was just the feeling you got. It wasn't about anything. It was just pulls you in as like a drug. You couldn't not do it.
0: Right. How old do you think you were when you heard Kiss, for instance, how old do you think you were when that first experience happened?
1: So I feel fortunate for this. I found my passion early and I always tell younger kids growing up, just try to find that. If you can find that passion early, kind of stick with it. I found that passion early. It was probably, I would say fourth or fifth grade or so that I started to really feel that, right? Actually, even before that, because I took violin lessons when I was really little and a little bit of drum lessons. But the guitar thing really spoke to me around fourth, fifth grade. And then by sixth grade, my dad got me a guitar in seventh grade. I quit all sports and it was just hundred percent from there, literally. So from the time I was 13, 14 years old, my mind was always just a hundred percent in guitar land. Do you remember what your first guitar was? A Squire Bullet or a Fender Bullet, whatever they call them then. And then my first real one was like a early Kramer Beretta, like the Eddie Van Halen. That was his first Signature. I don't know. It didn't say a Van Halen guitar, but I think that was his thing, right?
0: Right. It was. So, were you living in Grand Forks at this time? Yes. Okay. So, you grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota?
1: All the way until I was 20. Yep.
0: Okay. Perfect. And see, and I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. So, eventually, Brent and I wound up meeting. So, that's very cool. So, you're playing guitar. Are you taking guitar lessons at this point? Yeah. So,
1: parents got me into lessons right away. Did the once a week lessons and music classes at school where I could, right? High school, especially there was jazz band in 10th grade. That was a significant turning point for me. Music theory class, but yeah, lots of lessons. And then of course, band you and I had. and
0: Right. So then when you were taking lessons and stuff like that, when you go home, and again, because the majority of people that listen to my podcast are guitar players. So when you're practicing at this young age, do you find yourself focusing a lot on technique, or are you working a lot on ear training, or what kind of things are you doing? Okay, so
1: fortunately, this teacher—he passed now. Lin Kwame—I don't know if you remember Lynn from Grand Forks, but Lin Kwame was this guy who taught everybody in Grand Forks. And fortunately, I pick up the guitar, and this is mid '80s, and and you're just playing like rock songs and whatnot, right? And you're just reading tablature and learning round and round by ratter. But Lynn was a fundamental, what he would do is teach you to do a lot of chord melody things and basic chord melody stuff. And I'm so grateful for that. I wish I would have dove into it earlier and he would take popular rock songs and make you learn them chord melody styles. What was great about that is to this day, I credit using my fingers. What do they call it, Steve? Like the cloth. So I'm just holding a pick and using my second, third and fourth finger. That's so much because he would make you and he would not be happy with you if he came in and didn't know it. He'd have you learn these chord melody songs. It's so funny. We used to call them elevator music. Be teaching you major sevens, and at that time you're like, "What the hell is this?" Now it's like that's all all I'm all I'm about. But yeah, so he would have you do all this stuff, and that was significant for me. And I really, really wish I would have fundamentals. Is key. It's really key, and I think. For me, growing up as a rock player, that was something that you can get skirted away from because we're just learning these riffs. And then by the time I'm in high school, you're just playing Stormtroopers of Death. I love this stuff, but you need to learn your fundamentals. You really need, the fundamentals are so key. That was very important for me. I did get a bit of that. If I say anything to younger students, I'm always telling them, put your time in on that. Simple fundamental songs.
0: Yeah, it's so important because I think about when I was a kid too, learning how to play, and I only had a few lessons and it didn't go very well. So the majority of my playing was playing by ear until Guitar for the Practicing Musician started releasing magazines, and I would learn things out of that. And uh, I'm trying to remember some of those other guitar magazines, but Guitar World, some of those, but learning some of those. And so getting really good at playing songs, but really never understanding anything about how things worked together together and not even really getting, for me, I was a late bloomer with that, because it really wasn't until I went to college, I started realizing the complexity of layering, of being able to to look at progressions and see how songs are really constructed in terms of width as well. And then it just changed everything for me, which was pretty awesome. But it took me a while to get onto that.
1: Yeah. That's what we love to do, because we'd pick up a guitar and you just want to play riffs. And actually, I do encourage that, because it's kind of two sides to that coin. If I have a student come in brand new from the start, I do want them to start playing. I want people to just have fun at first. We want to keep, keep them involved in music. And we know the power of music, right? There is something about really digging into those layers. And I was late on that too. Sometimes growing up as a rock guy, because you can play by shapes and there's benefits to that on guitar. We all know the benefits to that. One major seven chord, you just move it up. But there's also another side of that coin, which you just be aware of that.
0: You're absolutely right. All right. So now you're playing guitar. You're learning how to do this stuff. You're taking lessons. So when does your first band come along?
1: Okay. So the very first one was just the Grand Forks band. I was in seventh grade when I played my first gig (laughs) with my Kramer Beretta. And then the following bands were you and I's Frank Corey and with you and I got pictures of us 16 years old in my kitchen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I still have that video or some video, not the whole thing, but some video of us performing. Brent and I actually met, we had a mutual friend by the name of Corey Qualley, unfortunately passed away a few years ago, but he was an amazing human, amazing singer. I remember meeting Corey. I'm 51. I met Corey when I was in, I must've been about 15 something like that. I met him at a holiday Inn here in Fargo and he had long black curly hair. And I was like, that guy's the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Dude. And you know, what's funny too is when I first met you, cause we were just talking on the phone, right? And then I drove up to Fargo to meet you. We met at right off of 94, right? We met at that hotel there too. The same thing. We'll walk up and I'm like, damn, and you!" I think we had the fringe jackets on and
0: you had the long hair. I think you had that apartment with purple shag carpet. Purple shag. That was downtown. That's right. Oh, that is so awesome. That's the thing. For me, I didn't start playing in bands until I was about 20 because I'd been in college. I went to college early when I was 17, so maybe 19, something like that. So meeting you through Corey, I hung out with Corey all the time. And then going to Grand Forks and jamming with you and playing that. We only do one show. Was it a battle of the band? That one was. I can't remember if we did anything else. But anyway, so that's where Brent and I, and we won actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably by our looks more than anything. <laughs> well,
1: they would get mad at me too, though, because I would get you guys. You and Corey was so talented. We we're in Grand Forks and Fargo. There wasn't like a lot to choose from. And Corey could sing his could sing his tail end off. So we would just go in and I'd get those windows all the time. <laughs> People would get pissed off. I'd put together the Superstar Fargo Grand Forks bands <laughs> with all you guys.
0: Gosh, I remember I had a ton of friends come up for that thing too. And it was just a lot of fun, but that's where we met and this whole thing started. And so after that, how long after that was it before you decided to move to Minneapolis? And did you move to Minneapolis to try and connect or were you already connected? So that's why you moved to Minneapolis.
1: Yeah. So moving to Minneapolis was to go to music school. So I wanted to go to music school at that time in my life. This is a regret. I didn't want to go to college. I was like, I don't want to go to college. I wish I would have went to college, but music school was great. I went to this school called music tech and I was a very dedicated musician, literally from I think 10th grade till I left my house, I practiced literally not missing a day, no minimum of four hours a day. And I would just practice, practice, practice. So and then I had jazz band and I learned a lot from that. So when I went to music school, it was a two-year music school. I tested into the second year and then did that. And then eventually got into my band, Spy Mob.
0: All right. So yeah. And Spy Mob, if anybody has never heard of Spy Mob, you should definitely check that out. So this is what I'm really interested in is how this happened because how did Spy Mob come about?
1: So these two guys that were going to St. Olaf College, it was Eric Fawcett and John Osby. Actually, my good friend and unbelievable player, Matt Kirkwald, he actually went and and jammed with them. And they were auditioning people, right? To put together this band. actually told them, he said, I love this stuff, but you should also check out my friend Brent. I'd love to be. And then I was so grateful. That's the greatest hookup. So nice of him. And then He came back. He's like, I I went and jammed with these guys and they got this Steely Dan thing. I was like, dude, come on, bro. He's like, I told him I would go jam with them. And they ended up choosing, ended up getting the gig. And so that's how that happened. And then we grinded it out. Any other band. I don't know how many years until we got a record deal in 1999. Six years or so.
0: Right. Exactly. So you're with Spy Mob. How does NERD come from what you were doing with Spy Mob?
1: So- Pharrell and Chad are really like, they're super Spy Mob or super like Steely Dan, Todd Rudgren fans, right? And Spy Mob had that thing. John was the the singer, keyboardist, and writer in the group. And he would write these really cool, crazy, funky Steely Dan ish progressions, Todd Rudgren And he had this beautiful voice that was kind of in that range. We got our deal in 1999. We did an album with Epic Records and we did this album. Had it in the can, and Epic a year and a half afterwards had dropped us. And you can imagine you're going from like we have a record deal in 1999, it's a good deal, you got an advance, we quit our jobs, then all of a sudden we're out of the record deal. Frell and Chad at the same time were shopping around record companies to start their own subsidiary record company called Star Trek. They went to Epic Records and said we love this band on your record label called Spy Mob, which was. Funky meeting because he was telling this to the president who had just dropped us, <laughs> and she said we had to let them go. And Pharrell said, "Okay, fine, I'll sign them." And it was such a crazy coincidence. It happened to be when nobody knew this. Their Pharrell's lawyer was also our lawyer. He calls us after the meeting, so it was like Phoenix Rising kind of thing. It's like, hey, get a second chance here. It's like, whoof! That's how it happened. It turns out they got our demo from some publishing company because you're getting a record deal. And at that time you're shopping your stuff around the lawyers know like, Hey, we can get this up, getting a publishing deal can get the guys a bunch of money. So they were in some random meeting and got our demo and they had been listening to our demo for months. So when we met them, they're like, we've been rolling around Virginia, listening to your record. Then that turned into, Hey, we have this side project And we have this first album called In Search Of. Would you guys like to play the live instruments on it? That's where my whole life
0: changed. Gosh, that's so cool. Crazy, right? Yeah, it sure is. So you're doing that. So when do you decide that you're going to move from Minneapolis to California?
1: So did the NERD did In Search Of. We toured In Search Of and then toured the second album. The second album, the NERD album, Pharrell and Chad played all those instruments on it. So that's all totally Pharrell and Chad. We toured that one, but then touring stopped. And then I started to feel like, oh, I want to like maybe get more into production. So at that time, that's around 2006 when I moved or was it 2008 around that time I moved and everybody was going to California. I had a mentor out here, Emmanuel Kiriakou. I took lessons from him in music school in Minneapolis. He was out here producing. I had a little shoe in to jump in and get my production chopped start to learn more about that. And at that time that's coming, we're still fairly fresh into computer in a sense. So getting the chops up and things like that. So that's what drove me to Los Angeles was to try to get my production chops up and things like that. I wasn't really looking for playing gigs. I didn't really care for touring that much. I really wanted to see what I could learn. just learn more and more about production at that time.
0: Right. So since you've been out there, of course, you still work with Pharrell and and I know you work with What's some other artists that you work with, either record with or tour with?
1: Yeah, so I haven't really toured with any other artists, but I've worked... That's the one thing about getting a Pharrell gig, opens up some doors. Around the time Happy came out, because that's such a big song, like all the other producers are chasing anything that can get them closer to wherever that guy is going. So luckily, being the guitarist, you start getting calls from other producers which is really great. And then you get to work with great producers. So I worked with Ryan Leslie a lot. I did some stuff with Tricky Stewart. So that ended up being on Katy Perry. So I played on the Katy Perry album. Was it Teenage Dream? And then let's see, Rodney Jerkins. I ended up doing some stuff with Rodney Jerkins. I ended up on some Britney Spears stuff from that. But honestly, most of it is with Pharrell. And Pharrell's really main passion, he said this, is is production. I think he looks at himself as a producer first. So When Happy came around, Pharrell was putting a lot of guitars on things. He even told me, your next year is going to be really good. He knew in his head he was building all these songs up and he had a kind of a sound in his head. So around the Happy time, I was playing on all kinds of stuff, Snoop's album and just tons and tons of stuff.
0: With a lot of that stuff, when you come in, are you writing with them or are the ideas already written, but you're playing them? How does that happen a lot?
1: Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a different thing from a, a, like a rock thing. Right. And I think it's a different thing with Pharrell. Pharrell and Chad are, are really unique. Pharrell, he hears a whole song. Most, a lot of his songs that he writes are written in his head. So he comes in and he has all the guitar parts. Most of the time, 95% of the time, he'll just be humming stuff to me. I have voice recorder. He'll be done with the song, done with the song. And he'll say, I I want something like this. And he'll just hum it. He'll go, is something like bump, 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 bump. But the chords, he'll say with the chords on top and then I'll say what kind of sound and he'll, with Pharrell, he doesn't say, well, I want your 57 telly blah, blah, blah. He'll say something. I want Kurt Cobain meets Chuck Berry. You just have to pull out of the abstract of it. But yeah, the parts are written and if they're not hummed to me and Chad is, Pharrell's become such a great keyboardist too, but Chad is really, Chad's pretty serious You sit down and play giant steps. He's serious. So a lot of times it'll be parts that are just played on the keyboard. And with those guys, very rarely do they quantize. That's why Pharrell and Chad have a sound. That's why their tracks feel so good because they don't really quantize. So a lot of times what I do is I just get in and if it's a keyboard part that's already there, I'll get it as close as I possibly can. And a lot of times they might not be replaced. It's just me layering it. in. there's just something about when you put a live instrument on a track, especially a guitar, there's just a width and a depth that happens. You can quantize it, but you don't really want to. So if you just get that right take, it just gives it that little bit extra. They're just looking for that little bit extra. They don't want to completely go away from the vibe, but they want maybe to get that little tap back to the classic that's typically how it works. The parts are a lot of times there. Sometimes I get the song I did with Kid Cudi that I played on the Kid Cudi song. Surfing is a really fun guitar part with this really crazy rhythm that I came up with. It's a tricky rhythm to play. There's a few rare ones out there where I'll add in some stuff, but those guys are pretty genius.
0: Right. And it's fun that you're saying that because again, for a listener, it's easy when you live the guitar world that everything is guitar heavy and everything is about the guitar riff and everything is whatever. And sometimes it is no doubt about it. If somebody's listening that hasn't really experienced listening to music like Brent is talking about and really folding back some of those layers to hear all the stuff that's going on in there that makes a great song. Great. It's not just a drum part or just a bass part or certainly just a guitar part. Sometimes it's the culmination of all these things that create not just this because again, because we're guitar players, we're always thinking in terms of scales or patterns or shapes or whatever it might be. And sometimes it's a groove. Sometimes it's far less to do with how much you're playing and far more to do with the minimal elements that you're doing, but how it's supporting this groove that's happening.
1: It's a hundred. Seriously, with those guys, I have one of the reasons is just the pocket. It's pocket is extremely important in that gig. That's it. They just feel that. They don't know. Again, like I said, my 57 Tally is probably what I've used most on Pharrell stuff, or like the 64 I use a lot in my Strat. He doesn't know. It's just what it feels like. You have to get in there and get a sense of what the producer... So it's a hip-hop producer. They're not using guitars a lot. This is not in their arsenal a lot, right? You just kind of weed through and find the kind of the sound that they're hearing in their head. You have to figure it out through however they say it. I want Chuck Berry, or I want Kurt Cobain, and then you just... You're figuring that out then. Well, that's probably this style of amp, or it's got to have a little bit of grit, or I want the police. Okay, well, it's got to, it's a jazz chorus. It's got to be super clean. It's a strat. That's your job then to just make sure that you're getting that vision of theirs. How many songs like Pharrell tunes I played on that are just literally just little I mean, tons like that. And that's it. And it's not about, it's a simple part. It's about where you pocket it. It's totally about that.
0: So when you guys go on tour, do the arrangements change for you? Are you playing pretty much those same parts or do your arrangements change for the live versions?
1: No, we'll definitely do maybe some punches or things like that. The goal for us in touring, especially like this would be different, say for maybe a rock band or a classic rock band that might change things up and whatnot. But in the Pharrell gig where it it leans more into the pop world, any RD doesn't as much, but say the Pharrell tour. And when we're touring with happy, those were keeping pretty straight down the line. And the goal of those is, is to not change things too much. And Pharrell and Chad don't want things changed too much. Pharrell's even said that I don't like to go to shows and the songs sound completely different. So then our job is to go, okay, Pharrell doesn't want this to sound super different. He has a band back here for a reason. So, then our job is to just add that little layer of excitement in there, just a little bit of a layer of excitement, maybe a couple extra breaks. And as far as playing, like I'm playing the same stuff, I'm definitely playing the same thing. So, even like when we get up on stage and play Get Lucky, right? There is actually in the backing track, Niall is playing. So, it's me and the backing track, Niall, playing at the same time because we don't want that complete difference. So, it gives me a chance to just go, okay, now. In live mode, I can add just a little bit more excitement. I might add a couple little different voicings to the chords. I'm not going to change it up too much. I'm just going to do little things that might add a little bit more live excitement. So that's really the goal, but just play it down the line still.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So in replicating that live, how many people do Pharrell, for instance, how many people does he take on the road for a band for you guys then?
1: Well, so it was guitar, bass, keys. Yeah, guitar, bass, keys, drum.
0: With the Pharrell gig,
1: actually the last NERD gig, there's dancers. So it, it does get to be a little bit performance too. So there's dancers who are kicking butt too. And it's a show where they're going for a good show.
0: Okay. So now you're doing the Pharrell thing. And then where does University fit into this?
1: Okay. What I was trying to do with University, this was interesting because I got to this point where it was right before happy came out. So I got busy with happy. At that point I was so busy I gave up the studio. I didn't want to pay for a studio while I was out and all that. It was right before that. I was in Los Angeles. I was doing a lot of production. And in Los Angeles there's a lot of buildings where there's multiple production rooms. And it's funny because a lot of times these rooms, these buildings were old rock and roll rehearsal room, but they're not used like they're not as busy anymore. So they start turning into production rooms where producers would come in and they'd bring in their laptops and make beats all day long. It started to totally shift. I had this room at this building and all these young producers would come in, just hungry, gritty, doing it, sleeping on the couch, making beats. And a lot of them were just great. You'd hear they'd come in and make these beats, things that I didn't grow up doing. And it's so great, man, love to learn to play an instrument. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I'd ask them, "This is where it all started for me in school. Did you take any music classes?" And they're like, "No, we didn't have music in school. Are you kidding me?" So there was no band class, or there was no music theory class. No, no. So I started to see how a lot of these kids were coming out of schools where there just there wasn't access to the art, the music, right. And if there was, maybe if it's a band camp, but they band class or something, but they didn't want to take traditional band. They were passionate about making beats, being like Timbaland, being like Pharrell, Scott Storch, making beats, right? So I could see age gap there. I could see what was going on. And I thought to myself, for me, I think it's so much fun to break down songs. I love deconstructing songs. It's just a blast, right? I was at this point too, where I really like breaking down songs and knowing how a producer would do it. And so I always thought we can go and it's easier to break down a rock song because there's an engineer guitars and whatnot to break down a Pharrell song. You have to get in his head because he's just doing it at his keyboard and doing the parts. It's all him. So I said, there's gotta be a way to make something that is accessible for kids to learn at a beginner level, to get them started, to learn how to do this that's where Tune University came around. I did the research and thought the best way we could do this is with GarageBand, which is unbelievably for $0 is just ridiculous. So, and then I asked Pharrell, I said, Hey, I want to do this. I want to break down happy and be able to show kids how you did the things, start with the conga pattern break it down. And then I want to show them how to rebuild that. And we can do it in GarageBand because Pharrell actually made that track and logic using all the stock instruments. And those are all available on GarageBand. So that's where that came about.
0: Wow. That's very, very, very cool.
1: Very cool. And it didn't end up working. Apple's doing some stuff that's very similar to it. And everyone can create program, which is unbelievably incredible. And it's free. They did a Justin Timberlake breakdown. And now I think, now GarageBand, I haven't checked it yet, but now GarageBand comes with, the newest GarageBand comes with breakdowns from Lady Gaga. So they've taken on some of that now. That's where the Tuniversity.
0: university. That's so cool, man. You're right, being able to bridge, because there's the old school and there's the new school, and there's a big gap between the old school and the new school. And they're both doing amazing things. But you're right, I think, there's a lot of people that are missing information on both those sides of how music is constructed in a person's mind. So since you're not doing to university at all anymore, right? Is there anything else that you're doing now on top of you got your music, you got production, you got Pharrell, but what else are you doing now?
1: So this has been an interesting run this last few years. COVID definitely made things much more tricky and I have a couple of kids. And so it's been a couple of years of trying to figure this stuff out. But when this all hit and we were stuck inside, one of my best friends, Kiko Doran, he was like, Brent, you need to get online. You need to start kicking it into gear. And I gave him the social media that much, just that great friend who's eating me. Come on, bro. What would you do? What would you tell when I'm teaching? I really love the be- more of the beginner state teachers. I just love seeing people get excited about music and bringing them into it. And he was like, what would you do? And I, I said, I feel like rhythm I and mean, he's kind of like, what keeps your gig? And I was like, well, it's my rhythm chops. It's definitely the pocket. Well, you should do that. Cause I was really afraid of it to go online and teach. I got like, you guys are doing this great. <laughs> There's so much good out there already. I just had to find an honesty with it and what I feel has really helped me and what I feel will really help others. So now. It's been this ramp up. So the Twitch thing has been a lead up to it. And what I'm going to do is I got like 10 lessons that are all rhythm lessons and all of them are very, very beginner friendly. I just literally break it down to a a very simple pace. So those are being finished right now. And that's going to be my next move. It's just step-by-step. This little Twitch online thing will lead into more, more of the lessons. And then when I do the lesson stuff, The reason I wanted to get on Twitch and do the more online thing, because then I can interface with students. All those lessons, these first ones, I'm just going to give away. It's just going to be 10 of them. That's the goals, the upcoming goals for me.
0: That's awesome. I encounter a lot of obviously being in the YouTube thing and things like that, talking to different people who create lesson content. And then I'll approach somebody about maybe doing a course together or whatever it might be, or doing some collaboration And it's funny because so often I'll hear people say something like, well, I'm not very good at music theory, or I don't really feel comfortable teaching. And they'll go into all these things that they're not comfortable with. And you're like, that's not the point. What I've found in my years of doing this is what people really like is when you're able to spit out your brain to them. You're able to take an idea and give it to them in a way that they can understand. So you're not talking college level theory to someone 99.9% of the time anyway. So I think that's part of the player fear that we have, that competitive nature. where so often, we're like, well, I don't really understand all these other things. And it's like, it doesn't matter whether you do or don't understand them. The point is, if Brent Paschke can pull something out of his mind and explain it in a way that somebody can learn from, it's a benefit. And it's something that I absolutely would watch and I have watched before because that's what it's all about is, I always tell people, the problem that I've always had with guitar magazines over the years is you buy the guitar magazine and shows you what they wear and it shows you what gear they're using and you can go buy all this stuff and you're still not going to sound like them. And then it's got the songs all notated out and then talk about whatever vanity elements of those songs or that album or that recording or something. They don't really give you good information. I always thought what would be fun is to be able to sit down with Joe Satriani and just give him a chord progression and go, what are you thinking about right now? What would you do with this right now? What would you do never having heard this before, and then the student could hear him talk about this real experience that's happening and go, that makes sense because yes, I understand you play in Lydian a lot, but I don't understand how to relay that to anything that's real to me.
1: Exactly. Yeah. What's going on in there? That's the approach. And the approach I'm taking on these first ones too, is I'm not even using tablature on the first. Literally, I want it to be pretty much just picking up a guitar. You'll get it. I'll be using play alongs that I'm making. Teach, get lucky. I was just like, dude, that's not the easiest to play up to speed and in the pocket. It's not that easy. You have to have some rhythm chops under your belt. Yeah. But can somebody do it at 50 BPM? Literally three note chords. They're very simple, very simple chords. Like, yeah, you can, you can do anything if you slow it down that far and really focus on it and take your time. That's the approach I'm starting to take with things is, and that's the thing back to the fundamentals. I do it too, bro. I see. I see. A Joe Bonamassa lick. I want to play it as fast as him. It's just not going to happen, bro. It's not happening. And if I keep on trying to practice it at that speed, I'm just going to have bad habit. Back to fundamentals. Slow it
0: down. That's awesome. All right, let's move in a little bit different direction here just because I got some really fun things to ask you. So you can pick any era. Usually it's something a little bit earlier, but who are your main musical influences? When you think about the encompassing Brent Paschke, who are your main musical influences that come to mind.
1: Well, it started with Steve Vai. That was high school for me and I literally wore Flexible out. I think he's just an unbelievable player. And then looking back now too, like, geez, like think about him programming a Lynn drum machine like that. His composition's unbelievable. Larry Carlton I love, because I love the Steely Dance stuff. Like Walter Becker on the Steely Dance stuff. Love. And then mentally too, I love his quotes. John Frischante, I think, is just I think John Frusciante is an unbelievably rounded musician. It's almost even hard to say guitar for him, I feel, because guitar chops are unbelievable. But if you look at his mentality and what kind of things he talks about as being an artist and whatnot, it's just unbelievably impressive. He's definitely a musician to strive. He's got some great stuff. But yeah, Frusciante, oh my God, blood sugar, sex, magic. Holy yeah, <laughs> God, you kidding That's me? awesome. Yeah.
0: All right, so let's do this now top 3 favorite albums of all time and again just whatever comes to mind not over analyzing but three albums where you go man those are the ones right now okay this is a weird one though but it
1: helped it changed my direction a lot but this somebody gave me a decade of steely dan when i was in high school and maybe senior and that changed things so decade of steely dan oh god blood sugar sex magic i think and then sergeant peppers the Beatles. Oh,
0: nice. Wow. Those are three really good ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that would probably be just coming to the top of my head. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So now let's shift to now. Music that you're currently listening to, which I go back, I actually find myself going back and listening to weird new wave 80s stuff that I never listened to as a kid because I was a metal guy. And I would have beat myself up for listening to it. Now I go back and I love listening to all kinds of different crazy Depeche Mode and all these different things. But if you think of current artists, are there any current artists that you're really into?
1: Yes, there's a few. I love Brittany Howard. She's unbelievable. Honestly, those last couple Taylor Swift albums are unbelievable. They are so good. And I think Billie Eilish is everything that a musician should strive for.
0: I totally agree with that.
1: She is so honest, so good. And her last album, Unbelievable unbelievably good. As far as the new stuff, I kind of like that stuff. That's a little bit more pop, but produced really Jack. What's his name? Jack. Oh God, I'm an, I don't want to butcher his name. <laughs> Did the production on that. The guy from fun. He's just so good. I'm a seventies pop guy. I think get done with the studio and still put on Peter Frampton comes alive. Recently. It's just been all the meters, everything meters, the meters backing Dr. John. I'm the funk seventies. That just sinks me every time. I can't get away from it.
0: That's so fun. Because that's been my problem is I get burned out of just the same stuff over and over and over. So it's so fun to go back. Now that Yacht Rock has become popular again, you can find all these great songs that you haven't heard in a really long time. Wait, what's Yacht Rock? Yacht Rock is Dr. Hook and Abba would be in there somewhat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think. Any of that 70s, 80s stuff that's that saxophone beagle street or whatever that's called oh
1: sure yeah 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 dude i see i love that syncs me dude those chord changes the
0: arranging the songwriting the freaking recordings dude oh my god yeah all that stuff lately i've been doing little river band going back to stuff like that i'll drive around and listen to that crank in my stereo or anything but just listening to this stuff is fun. It's great,
1: man, and it's good. We're inundated a lot on the radio today. Like it's so many of the same progression. I love like Rick when Rick Beato does those breakdowns. <laughs> Why does everything suck? And he's so good. He's so theoretically good and breaks it down. He gives such great knowledge on that stuff when he breaks down and goes. But look at this chord progression from Radiohead. Now you got these different melodies. Like. There's a lot when you can go back to that stuff. There's nuggets in there that we can bring into music today. Instead of following the same patterns and the same progression, you're locked in at that point.
0: Okay. Here's another one for you. What other interests do you have outside of music? Ah, <laughs>
1: man, if it's my way, I love psychology. I love Krishnamurti. My 50th birthday, I drove to Ojai where the Krishnamurti Foundation is in the silent library and I read a book that was my birthday wow, present. That's awesome. And that's all I wanted to do. I love the mental because I feel so much of that applies to music. I kind of got to a point in my life too, to be honest, it was maybe five, four five years ago where I started to really evaluate my myself and my plane. And I realized that the thing that's holding me back in my plane is myself. So I really started to dig into that stuff. And there's such great stuff out there. Jordan Peterson is like I'd love listening to his stuff and you can learn so much from that guy, Krishnamurti. I mean, to me, he's the top of the top. There's so many lessons in that. And that stuff is huge. Learning about yourself, learning about how your thoughts were and how to work with your emotions and all that kind of stuff is absolutely essential to us becoming great players. We all know that as guitarists, we can't thought doesn't work in, in a great take. It's not like you don't come out of, I don't come out of the booth ever and say, that's a great take. And I start saying, I was thinking about blah, blah, blah. No, I wasn't thinking I was gone. I was just completely engulfed in the music. So learning how to balance those thoughts and how much you're taking in and what you're doing with those thoughts. Absolutely. you like, you're playing a solo and you screw up. If you let that take you, if you let those thoughts take you to another place, you're done. If you say, well, I, I messed up. And you know what I mean? If you just make a decision that it's okay. It's just part of life. And you got to stay in the what is, what right now.
0: It's interesting because, I mean, there's so much to be said for being a type A person. I think about my twenties and my thirties, and I can't even remember them because I was so hell bent on moving forward with trying to do whatever I could do with my career that I never really ever stopped and thought about what I was doing. And I actually, in my forties, I learned to put the brakes on that because I'm actually experiencing family for the first time. I've had a family for a long time, but I was never home. I was never experiencing those things. And I think about guitar playing and how, and I'm sure you were exactly the same way in the younger days when guitar was one or two or three elements of just massive intensity that you would practice and trying to get better at whatever these things are that you're getting better at, which I'm thankful for all of it. Don't get me wrong in retrospect, there's so many things I wish I had thought about more when I talk to people or do clinics or whatever it might be. Social media can be such a horrible place for people and pitting each other against each other relative to how fast something is or how heavy something is or how whatever it might be complex something is versus understanding that just like you said, each of us has to balance what we're looking for out of our music from our life and figuring out how to make those things synergistic to each other. So, because I always think m- about my daughter. My daughter is now, t- she'll be 21 in November and she plays some guitar, but her guitar supports her voice. She's not; She has no interest in being some sort of guitar vo- virtuose. She actually laughs at that because that's not who she is at all. She just wants to play chords and sing because her vocal is what she does. I don't know what that world is like. I've never been a singer, guitar player. I just think that you're so right in learning to have that music Reflect how you feel and how you think and also being very careful that you don't just get caught. And again from that metal mind That guys like like us you get stuck in that thing
1: I grew up with that you grow up like the so competitive and whatnot That's part of human nature of course And it's part of what we do at the core of the I the me that we all relate to is divisive And we're always creating images and images take us out of the present moment You will never ever ever till the day you die, be anything but in the present moment. Like that's it. And by creating these images that I need to be that or shoot, I'm not that doesn't even work in the present moment. So if you're bringing that into your plane, you're not being you, you're not being creative. You're trying to be something else. It's like deeper psychological stuff, but that's very, very important. And some people, it's easier, I think, for some people to get it. Some people just naturally... It's important to break that down. So I think the work that we do internally completely, especially when you get on, when that record button goes, you feel it. You don't come back into, you never, you think about that. You don't come back into the control room and say, well, that takes great because it's like, blah, it's like you, there's no path to that take being great. The way you know if that take is great is you feel it. It's immediate. It's right there, right? Love is immediate. Truth is immediate. There's no paths to those. They just happen. So that's where we want to get to. That's ultimate goal as a musician. That's the perfect creative expression. I was thinking about this the other day. Like I didn't grow up, man. I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to play guitar because I want to be rich or it's just like I couldn't do anything but that. It spoke to me in such a way that you just had to do it. If I do it in this way, that I need to get a Grammy and I need to do this, it's like you're not doing it for yourself. That's getting taken away from you. You hear like that's why I like like Billy, Billy Eilish. The first song on her album is she's saying something like, "Can't what it did it? Remember what the exact way she says it? But it's basically saying like things I once enjoyed are now just ways I make money or something, you know. And she's talking about the pain of that because. That starts to get taken away from you when it gets capitalized by the record. Can you imagine? Like, holy crap, the kind of struggles like somebody like Billy has to to do. We want to be aware of that. That's why her last album speaks like it does. The minute you start to lose that, people see through it, man. People don't want to see you trying to be somebody. Nobody does want to see that. People want to see who you are. You see right through that stuff.
0: This is great stuff because anybody listening, that's the thing is is there's no doubt that you need drive. If you're sitting on your couch eating potato chips, watching TV and and wishing that you'd do whatever, you're not going to get anywhere. Nobody's going to call you because nobody knows who you are. That's the weird thing is, is that you got to keep pushing forward. But if you do it in an honest way, and like I said, it's easier for me to say that because if I go back to my late teenage years, you know, I was practicing, like Brent said, four, five, six hours a day because I had that time. But I had that time because I committed that time. I wasn't going out partying or whatever. That's what I was doing with my time at at that time. I just found on my path that what I was really good at was explaining things to people when it came to guitar. Doesn't mean I don't love playing on stage. I love playing on stage. I love all those kinds of things. But I know the reason I'm on this planet is because I'm able to explain things to somebody where somebody goes, oh, wow, thanks. That makes sense to me. That's awesome hundred percent. That's right. And so I think that's part of it is, is figuring out where you need to be in this bigger context. And like Brent said, it isn't about the end game. It isn't about the amount of money or the amount of fame or something like that. It's just the passion of doing what you love to do the way that you love to do it.
1: It's totally true, man. We all know that statistically. We know that from statistics, happiness doesn't increase. The happiness kind of like gets to this point. Peterson talks about this. It gets to this point where, if you cover your main things and you just have a good existence from there on up it's not the extra money increases happiness they've shown that bill gates just got divorced do you think he's happy in that freaking moment he's going through the same thing we're all going through the same thing at the base of this all we're all humans and humanity brought us here you know what i mean and we're all humanity nobody's any different all the money in the world all those things finding that place in yourself with music. That's key for me.
0: That's awesome, Matt. That it's very, very cool. Well, I thank you for spending an hour of your time with me.
1: Yeah, Matt, of course, dude. This is great. It's always nice to yeah. hang out with you. Great to hang with you. And thanks for all the work you're doing online, Matt. I love seeing your stuff. It's great. I point people over there all the time. Where should I go for some lessons? I'm always pointing you there. My neighbor's a huge fan. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: I'm hoping that once things get back to normal a little bit, you and I can have our conversation about doing some stuff together again.
1: Yeah, definitely. I got to get back up to the Midwest. So when we do, like when I get up there, we definitely got to, I'd love to connect.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brent. Everybody, please, last thing, where do you want people to check you out as far as a certain website?
1: My Instagram is probably my best spot. That's kind of where I'm most active socially. So my Instagram, just Brent. Right, Brent Pashki, shoot. <laughs> I think it's just Brent Pasky. If you search it it'll be it'll come up.
0: Yeah. We'll have some link I'm sure somewhere around. I don't do the editing of the podcast but I'm sure they'll have some information so you can find Brent and are you doing any can people look you up for lessons or production work or anything like that?
1: Yeah. And at this point, I'm at that stage building up all that. I haven't touched my website in a minute, kind of just pushing it to Instagram. And I have uh information on the like link tree on how to get in touch with me. And you can always just DM me on Instagram. I always answer my DMs. So
0: All right. Well, thank you, buddy. You have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you soon, okay?
1: Thank you, you too, buddy.